starting where you're at and clearing the blocks from the body first instead of trying to change your environment or trying to change your patterns of behavior there's a reason those things exist the way they do there's a reason people are reacting or responding to you the way that they are people are a mirror for what's going on inside of us so instead of trying to control or shift or change any of those things start with the body and work with where you're at clear those blocks from the body and then what remains over time is you right um, at the end of the day when we're doing the work which is connecting back to the body and releasing the fascial restrictions from the body doing that over time consistently all that remains is all that you are truly um, it doesn't make you a different version of yourself it makes you the version of yourself that you truly are and then you will do anything you can to ferociously protect that yeah. <laughs> once you have access to that I mean the the joy and the happiness that's found there the union the inner union that's found there that's felt there once you have that it's yours Welcome back to the Capital Integrative Health Podcast. I am Sylvia Hazel, a family nurse practitioner at CIH and host of the podcast today. Today, we are excited to talk with Niall McFarland, an occupational therapist who specializes in holistic manual therapies that consider the body, mind, and spirit interplay. With over 15 years of clinical experience in the field of pain management, in addition to their career as a manual occupational therapist, Niall has created an innovative therapy approach that utilizes the four quadrants of embodiment, a teaching tool that guides clients through a process of learning how to self-treat and maintain the changes that occur from hands-on manual therapy. In this episode, Niall shares their insights on ways in which our physical and mental health are interconnected and how we can work to cultivate a more positive relationship with our bodies. Whether you are dealing with chronic pain, mental health challenges, or simply seeking to improve your overall well-being, this episode is sure to offer valuable insights and practical advice. So sit back, relax, and join us for a fascinating conversation with Niall McFarlane. Welcome, Niall, to the Capital Integrative Health Podcast. We are so excited to have you here today. And before we kind of dive into questions, um, wondering if you can just tell us a little bit about how you got started as an occupational therapist. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for asking. It's funny, my 10-year-old actually asked me this question the other day. Um, uh, it's OT month, by the way, so... Happy awesome. OT month. Happy OT, OT month. <laughs> yeah. Um, I personally think it's one of the best professions um, there is because it is so holistic. It really allows for so many different approaches to wellness. Um, so initially, I actually wanted to be a nurse. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. Uh, when I graduated high school, I knew I either wanted to be a nurse or something in the healing arts for sure. And I... Um, as soon as I graduated, instead of going to, um, you know, everyone's senior year does like the senior beach week and all of that, I ended up taking a certification training to become a CNA. So gotcha. um, I had to grow up really fast, which definitely informs my, my own healing journey. So I took a two-week course to become a certified nursing assistant, and I worked in a nursing home for a while on the Alzheimer's unit, which... Um, can be very intense for a 17-year-old. Yeah. 
I'm um, sure. Yeah. In retrospect, I don't think I could have done it as an adult. It's kind of one of those things, you know, you don't know what you don't know when you're yeah. a kid. Right? <laughs> um, but on the Alzheimer's unit, that's kind of the, if you can uh, envision what that must be like, it's kind of the end stage of life. Right. So I was holding space for a lot of death at 17 years old. Wow. Yeah. Um, and the the job of a CNA is really more like self, you know, making sure self-care needs are met, feeding, dressing. There's nothing rehabilitative about it. Um, so one day when I was working with uh, one of my uh, patients, an occupational therapist came into the room and it just completely shifted the energy of um, of what we were doing there. You know, I was there to get it done. Yeah. And she came in and she was like, we're going to slow it down here. And instead of you putting her socks on, we're going to teach her to put her socks on. And in my mind, I was like, why are we taking this time? You know, she's going to die soon. Um, But I saw something shift in her eyes. You know, it was like suddenly we were seeing her and she could see that we were seeing her and she just kind of lit up. And instead of lying back in the chair and like letting her, letting someone do do a thing to her, she kind of perked up and engaged in a completely different way. Mm-hmm. And I think it was at that moment I knew that I wanted to be an OT. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, I had to grow up really fast. Hence the becoming a CNA at seventeen. Um, so I ended up uh, working in the wellness industry and putting myself through college. And while I was in college, um, I was kind of the oldest person there and kind of paying my own way. I, I really started to take school seriously, probably for the first time. <laughs> yeah, when you're putting the money towards it, yeah. it means a whole yeah. lot more. Well, and also it was more meaningful for me at that point. Yeah. You know, I knew what I was going to do with my life. Um, so when I was in OT school, I really got a sense of what it meant to be an occupational therapist. And really at its most basic, um, an OT is someone who looks at the full picture of what goes into the human experience. We are trained to help people stay functional and engaged. Um, Occupation doesn't actually mean helping a person get back to work. It means what do you occupy your time with? Well, whatever is meaningful for you, we want to help you re-engage with that. So I'm really grateful for my OT background, even though I I would say I'm a very non-traditional OT at this point. I'm very grateful for my formal education because we, I think probably more so than most practitioners and and healthcare professionals, we really got that, um, that sense of what it means to not just be a person, but to be a person in an environment. Yeah. Um, We had to learn how to break down the... Um, not just the person's needs, but also the needs and demands of the environment and get those two things to fit together again. Uh, it's a class actually called task analysis. Oh, wow. Where you analyze the tasks of the person. And we had to take two semesters of it, so it must have been important. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that really does inform uh, kind of my approach to embodiment and the four quadrants of embodiment really do have featured throughout of it. throughout it my my formal education, my background as an OT and that holistic approach. Yeah, I love that. That's like such a 
powerful story of how you got into it and then it sounds like a very unique lens that has like allowed you to delve into the work that you do now which is very cool thank you yeah I think so yeah so you mentioned embodiment was which was definitely on my radar as far as something that I wanted to talk about today but um for you know listeners and and for myself how would you define embodiment and Mm. um and I guess how is that important to the human experience Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. well it is the human experience yeah truly um, and I'm glad you're asking this question because I, I have a little bit of a pet peeve, um, and I hope I don't tick anyone off by saying <laughs> this, but um, one of the things that really bothers me is when a word starts to catch on and it becomes like a buzzword, yeah. <laughs> and I feel that that's happening a little bit with the term embodiment. Um, so when I see it used, oftentimes now I see it put in front of another word, like embody love or embody peace Um, or sometimes I'll hear um, people use it in terms of having a person embody a concept um, but also being an embodied version of something else other than them and I think that when we use the word embody love um, or the other day I saw an email came through in my inbox that said embodied spirituality Like, no, it's just spirituality. (laughs) Uh, Embodiment really is, to me anyway, is a very, it's a standalone concept. Um, If you pair it with something else before you've really learned to embody yourself, then you're still kind of missing the point, right? Um, I think we're still bypassing why we're not embodied when we're talking about embodying something other than who we are. Yeah. Um, So for me, embodiment means having access to all parts of you at any given moment and knowing where you are in relationship to those parts of you, right? Because we can never really ask to be fully present 100% of the time. We can never really ask to be grounded and awake and aware 100% of the time. Um, But what embodiment is, is it, it widens your window of tolerance. You know, which I know you did a polyvagal theory thing recently, so you kind of get what I'm saying, (laughs) Mm -hmm. right? Like, it's just um, having access and awareness to where you are in relationship to your mind, your body, and your spirit. And embodiment widens that window of tolerance. So not only can you kind of stay in choice more often, you also are aware of when you're out of choice, when you're maybe too high or the bottom has dropped out a little bit, you're aware of that. And then you have access to tools that don't necessarily bring you back to your window, but allow you to be where you are yeah. until you're ready to be someone somewhere other than where you are. Um, so that's what it means to me. Yeah, I love that. That's a beautiful description and a very important distinction between using it as like an adjective um, instead of just like a standalone concept. I like that a lot. Thank you. Um, so talk to me, I guess, about the four quadrants of embodiment and kind of what that looks like. And, and for listeners, people who are just interested in exploring that concept of embodiment for themselves, what does that what would that potentially look like for them? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just creating structure around a concept that I think 
is can be so ambiguous and mean so many different things to different people. Um, you know, I think that we have this misconception that embodiment is optional or it's something that we only have access to once we've done all these other things first. Um, and that's simply not true. Embodiment is vital to living. Um, you know, especially in this day and age where we've all been through this incredibly intense collective trauma and we're still in it, right? Like 2020 brought up a lot and it continues to bring up a lot. And we're all kind of riding these waves together and trying to figure it out. And instead of looking towards our inner world for answers, we're kind of projecting out our trauma. We're like trauma dumping yeah. onto others. Um, and it's, we're becoming very polarized as a result, right? Like it's either this way or this way. And if you don't agree with me, then you're not my friend anymore, you know? Right. Um, and then especially with the, uh, the age of technology and what we're doing with technology now with telehealth and the ability to be at home more, we've really become very isolated. And yet we're more connected than ever because we're experiencing this together, which right. is, I think, a once and lifetimes kind of phenomenon truly so this is the time to really be getting real with like who are you and what is my truth what is my truth um and that really starts with starting to analyze your inner world so that's what and um, that's what the four quadrants of embodiment allows for it's a um a, a four-part model that gives us tools and structure for coming home, coming back to center, and clearing any distortions or blocks that are keeping us from living here. Yeah. You know? Um, so to break it down for you, the four parts are known as assess, connect, explore, and embody. The first part, the assess part, is the um, kind of starting to do a body scan and more like learning to read your body like a map. So learning what's here today, because what's here today isn't necessarily what was here yesterday, right. um, nor should it be. And I think that's a mistake that we also make is like, I'm going to get up and do the same workout routine every single day, the same meditation, the same breath work. Um, I'm going to follow this video instead of really following what is my body saying. So the assess quadrant gives people kind of structure. It's a There's a four-step series for coming into the body, uh, kind of down training, so to speak, like starting with connecting to your center, your divine line, I call it. And we do a little bit of a postural hack to come back. In fact, let's do it now really yeah, good. I, I feel like to. I really need oh, it. Sounds <laughs> okay. great. So the first step is you take a slow breath in, raise your eyebrows up, and then a slow breath out, relax your eyebrows down, tuck your chin a little as if you're giving yourself a double chin. It opens up the back of your head a little. And then pinch your shoulder blades together as if you're pinching a pencil between your shoulder blades, palms facing up, open through your chest, full receiving mode. And then tuck your pelvis under slightly to bring your belly button into your spine. Slow breath in. A slow breath out and see if you can start to soften everything down and stay back over your pelvic floor, feeling where your feet are. 
<clears throat> so this opens up a channel from the base of your pelvis all the way up through the top of your cranium. And you can start to visualize the top of your head opening like a flower blooming. And then taking some slow breaths and you open your eyes and start to scan around, around the room a little. <clears throat> so this gives kind of a, um, positions mean everything. Positions in space really matter to the body. So when you just like feel into this position, it's a very much like I am here, right? Yeah. Um, and there's a subtleness to it. And a lot of times what it does for people is it cues them into how this feels hard and it brings that up. Yeah. Right. And the assess piece really is just about bringing up what is already here. So if you do this assess piece first, and that's just the first step, there's four, there's a total of four steps in the assess quadrant. Uh, the second step are, is a slow breath in technique. The third piece are, is a spinal flow. So it's kind of waking up the central nervous system. And the fourth piece is an unraveling. And that's kind of a body scan pa paired with movement where you can almost like catch these are patterns that are alive in my body. And without pausing, um, and, and this only takes 20 minutes, by the way, this first quadrant only takes 20 minutes. And without doing that, you're going about your day without a true read of what you're working with today. And then you're piling more on top of that. So this first piece not only brings awareness to what is here now, it also can slough off some surface level adhesions, some tension, some um, anxiety, you know, whatever you're feeling, it kind of can slough off those surface layers so that you're going into your day embodied, truly, um, without even doing the other three quadrants, <laughs> without right. really doing the work. Um, which brings me to the second quadrant, I would say, the second quadrant probably is the work um, that it's known as the connect quadrant. And in the connect quadrant, we are connecting to the body, um, which says a lot because the first quadrant, you're only assessing what's here. You're not even changing anything. Right. In the second piece, you are starting to create change. And truly, I think that all four of these pieces are very needed. The second part, nobody has time for. <laughs> Nobody's got time for really listening, getting quiet and listening. Um, and if they do, they're not connecting to the body. They're kind of using more existential skills like meditation, breath work. The second quadrant uses fascial release techniques. Mm. Yeah. Love that. Yeah. Thank you. It gets into the fascia. Yeah. yeah, it gets into the physical. Um, and truly, that's where our trauma lives. And again, nobody's got time for that. They've got a million reasons why they can't mm -hmm. do that one. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, people who do sign up to work with me and, and other teachers, because there are teachers teaching these modalities now, um, you know, they are saying yes to this piece. They're saying yes to going deeper. They're still scared. They're still anxious. Yeah. They know there's something in there, but they're here for it. They're showing up for it now. Um, so in the Connect Quadrant, I teach clients and I teach teachers to teach their clients how to use, how to scan for a place in the body that feels important, 
and we try to stay very uh, kind of objective in our language. So important can mean a million different things. It could mean tight. It could mean it's calling your attention. It could mean there's pain there. So we scan for what's important and we usually find that out in the assess quadrant. And then we connect to it using slow sustained pressure with a, a tool. Actually, I brought you a tool today. Can you I can. show? Um, yes. This is a really, really simple one. So these are um, four to five inch in diameter air filled squishy balls. So you can get these from like Sports Authority or something. Um, but I have these ones these ones made and I give them to my clients. So when you find a place in the body that feels important, you connect with that place using slow sustained pressure. Um, the psoas muscles, for example, uh, that's a big one because the psoas muscle runs through the abdomen. It actually originates in the, the back, runs through the, the abdomen and inserts on the inner thigh. So it's a really powerful hip flexor muscle. Um, but because it's running through the abdomen, it stores a lot of stress and yeah. emotion because that tends to be where we store a lot. So there's a really great technique with these air-filled squishy balls where you can lie face down with the ball in the psoas muscle. And through sustained pressure over time, it starts to melt the top layers of fascia, known as the elastin fibers. And then it starts to get into the deeper layers, the collagen fibers. And those collagen fibers are fibrotic in nature. They're meant to be that way because they provide stability to the body, right. whereas elastin gives flexibility. Um, it usually takes anywhere from three to five minutes to get past the elastin into the collagen fibers. And that's the part that nobody's got time for. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I use a model called the let go breathe model <clears throat> that kind of almost like tricks people into going deeper. In the first phase, the let phase, that's the first one to three minutes. And that's kind of where that, again, those superficial layers are starting to melt. And that's oftentimes where you'll get the mind wandering or thinking about your to-do list or um, self-doubt. Am I doing this right? All the, the surface level stop thoughts start to bubble up in those first one to three minutes. And that's as the tool is starting to sink into the tissue. Uh, in those moments, I do ask clients to document what is coming up because it's often informative of these are the survival patterns that right. you're living in, right? Um, if you're noticing the same thought patterns over and over, write those down. Become your own observer. Thank them. Let them pass through. They've served you well, but we're going deeper, right? <laughs> Um, and then in the following three to five minutes, that's where the collagen fiber starts to shift and, and alchemize. It goes from a more solid state to a more liquid, viscous-like state. Um, and then it can even kind of shift into a more crystalline state. And that's pressure, slow sustained pressure. It's called a piezoelectric phenomenon. It's, wow. it's science. It's not, <laughs> it's not all woo. Um, so when that piezoelectric phenomenon starts to happen in the three to five minute mark, you get this phase transition where the tissue just starts to open and in the tissue is stored information and that's where, um, toxins are stored. That's where enzymes are stored and that's where our emotions are stored. And it's kind of at that point that oftentimes the person will feel a release 
The release could feel physical, it could feel emotional, it could feel like a combination of both. Um, oftentimes the somatic intelligence starts to wake up there. You get pictures, images, symbols, thoughts. Um, that's where the experience is. And again, we stay the observer. We stay the neutral observer. We allow those things to, to pass through. But truly we're creating this um, safer container. You know, um, the body is the inner child. Yeah. Yeah. And in fact, in psychodynamics, uh, the soma known as, which is the body is the inner child. Um, so we work with the body as the inner child. And what I find is children need to feel safe and secure. And when they feel safe and secure, they'll word vomit all over you and I'll tell you everything you could possibly want to know. Right. Um, and more. So once the body feels that, then the same thing happens. And it, it's truly a detachment from the outcome and space holding at its finest, which I learned at 17 years old when I was working with the elderly and, you know, cleaning them and getting them ready to transition, right? It's space holding. And as a nurse, it's the same thing. Like the therapeutic container you create when you hold space is more valuable than any agenda we could possibly come in with, right? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, so that's where that's kind of where the magic happens, where the alchemy happens. It's where the most tran transformation happens is kind of in that second quadrant. And this this really is something that body workers need to learn um, because I feel we're past the point of doing it for our clients. Yeah. Yeah. We we need to learn these tools and these models and and give them to our clients in our sessions so that they can continue the work that started together and do it on their own, which kind of brings me to my, the third quadrant, which is, um, it's the quadrant of integration. Uh, and it really is kind of the missing piece, I think, in, in healing arts. Yeah. Yeah. We, we love to fix people, <laughs> but we're often not great at giving them the tools that they need to, uh, to integrate. Yeah. Right. Uh, we love to run away to the mountains to go to a retreat and have this transformational experience or, or this breath work conference. And then we come back totally changed. But then we don't really use the tools for integration. So we seek those peak experiences, but then we don't really think of how do we anchor this in? How do we bring everything back together with the body that we already have, with the environment that we already have, that's not going to drastically change. That's there waiting for you. Right. So bringing the tools from the connect quadrant where these massive shifts are happening on a physical level, truly, how do you then integrate them back into your everyday life? Um, and that is the explore quadrant. So how do we explore the changes for integration? Because if we're not exploring what's different, the body will revert back to what it knows. The body's so amazing yeah. like that, right? Like we seek homeostasis, we seek baseline, and we need to stay functional. So we'll do it in the shortest amount of time possible in order to produce. So the explore quadrant uses exercises um, and this one's really uh, derivative of my OT background. So we use neuromuscular reeducation, 
uh, positional release techniques, um, therapeutic exercise, and we tie it all together. Um, I have about uh, three 20 to 45 minute exercise routines that are all designed to strengthen parts in your body that are weakened from um, chronic repetitive strain over time. So to kind of bring you back to that divine line. So over time, that little postural hack that we did in the beginning, that that starts to feel easier and more natural. And it truly is, you know, as within, so without, uh, which is the principle of correspondence. When you feel like you are sitting at your divine line in your center, and that feels like your natural state, then you know where you are in relation to others at all times. So the third piece uses exercise to kind of build that that postural stability and strength. Um, And then you begin to embody you, (laughs) as you should. Um, And there are um, some questions, some body-based inquisitions that you ask consistently every day as you're doing the connect quadrant then you're exploring what feels different every day, and then you maintain the changes over time. Uh, And then the final quadrant is the embody quadrant. The embody quadrant, I think, is often, um, that's then when we start to look at the environment. So what are the barriers that are keeping you from uh, wearing the changes or embodying the changes? So yes, I'm using the word in the way, (laughs) I realize I'm using the word in the way that I said not to use it. Um, But how do you embody the changes? How do you hold the changes? So I find that in, in the embody quadrant, now we're having conversations about things that people often, they wanna talk about before they've done those three other steps. Um, and honestly, this fourth quadrant for me is an opportunity to drop in other practitioners. This is where I start to refer out. And this is where a lot of us need to be looking at who's our team, who are our professionals that kind of we want to co-treat with, who really get our work, who understand our work and we understand theirs. Um, this is the, it takes a village part, Yeah, you know? Um, this is why I value you so deeply, <laughs> truly. Um, so in the fourth quadrant, we start to talk about what's keeping you from holding the changes. And sometimes those are things like small intestinal bacteria overgrowth. Right. Right. Um, sometimes they're things like toxic relationships. Um, yeah. Sometimes they are things like this is often where the trauma conversations really start to come in or the residual pieces because a lot of the trauma has come up in the connect piece and we integrate we explore what feels different and we integrate that um but in the embody quadrant we're kind of looking at what are the things that are static right now environmentally and also within your own health um and sometimes those are things even like your energetic health right so Um, If you are someone who is very energetically permeable, you can do all this really great work in all these other areas, but if you're not also creating those energetic boundaries for yourself, then you're continuing to fall out of your window of tolerance. Um, And that is kind of where we start to have more of that conversation of the window of tolerance too, emotional resilience. What are things that are keeping you from maintaining 
Um, sometimes we'll do things like a spell, <laughs> you yeah. know, um, I had one client who, uh, this person was transitioning genders and we needed to, we needed to mourn the death, you know, we needed to grieve. So we, um, the homework for this person was to do a spell around a, a death of the old person. Um, and you know, the grieving is, is one that kind of comes up a lot actually. And I have found that it helps to add in things like flower essences in this quadrant. Um, homeopathy is such a, a beautiful, um, ally in this fourth quadrant. So it's kind of where I start to refer if it's outside of my, um, scope of practice or understanding, I do have different practitioners that I'll refer to at that point. And none of these four are done in seriation, right? That it, um, they're really, it's really looked at like a, like a wheel, right? So you start with one, but then you, you start with assess and then you go to connect. But as you're still connecting, you're still doing assessment every day. Right. And eventually you've done enough shifting in the body that you start to tie in the explore quadrant, some exercise, but you're still connecting every day. You're still getting into the pockets of trauma in the body. Um, and then you find there's a barrier. So you'll have a conversation about homeopathy or a conversation about referring out to a spiritual healer, you yeah. know? So it's always moving like in a, in a wheel. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. That's beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So it's really just structure, right? Nothing I said is new. <laughs> Yeah, but I think structure is, like, very helpful for people because, you know, when you talk about healing, there's, like, so many different things that could come up. And we have a tendency for just, like you kind of alluded to early, like, overriding our body or just, like, overriding and deciding, like, from a logical standpoint what we think is right um, for us. And so... I feel like, you know, we can talk about, oh, like connect with your body and get back into the body. But what does that mean? I think that's what people are really um, struggling to figure out for themselves. And they need some sort of structure and a framework to help them do that. So I feel like that's a really beautiful thing that you've offered to people is the structure and the framework. Thank you for saying that. That's a really good point. Yeah. And it's funny, even if they know that they need to get into the body, well, even just saying that out loud, like what what does that mean to people, right? Yeah. I I I find that when we do body based healings, we're still kind of playing at the surface level here. Yeah. Right. And that second quadrant, that connect quadrant, is I liken it to diving under the wave. Under there, it's quiet. Yeah. It's peaceful, <laughs> you know. Um, but there is something that scares people about that yeah well it's not so simple as just taking a supplement or you know all these other things it is it requires a lot of work um, and it's hard work and it's uncomfortable it can be really uncomfortable and painful it can be it can be um and I you know I do think that there is an old school model of healing that was not as trauma-informed. Um, and I will admit that I was guilty of kind of playing in that realm for a really long time. And in the 80s and 90s, I don't think we were as trauma-informed as we are now. 
um, it was kind of two schools of thought, right? You were either a mental health professional who psychoanalyzed and, you know, talked your issues, or you were a body worker who went into the body and did not consider the mind's needs for safety. Right. Right. So the four quadrants of embodiment, I find really tie the two together. I really found that in the, in the trauma informed world, it, it was lacking. It was lacking this like deeper go into the body, let the body lead, hold space, clear your agenda. Don't go in with your agenda. Even asking the question, where do you feel this in your body is very agenda driven. Yeah. Right. Because Someone just told you I'm feeling a certain way, and now you're saying, where does that live in your body? Well, now you're still using your mind yeah. to tell your body what's up. <laughs> right. Right. Um, so this is a way of, of, it doesn't bypass the mind at all. It doesn't bypass the ego's need to feel safe. It just lets the body go first. It yeah. lets the body lead, lead. And I do think there's something scary to that because... In our body, um, body worker world, in the world of physical rehabilitation, especially the world I come from, which is manual therapy, um, the modalities that I was trained in are really looking at this is the body you have where, how can we physically change something in your body so that you physically feel different? And it never took into consideration how that would shift your mental health. And I do think, you know, when your body feels more open and free, your mind is going to feel more open and free. But when we start to get into the places in the body that are restricted physically and we release those restrictions, that does have, it does release trauma. It does release emotion and body workers were not considering that, or at least they were kind of like, it was kind of like um, you. they were pushing it aside, right? It would come up, we would push it aside, and then we would keep focusing on the physical body without doing both, yeah. right? And I think that body workers had this mindset that if I acknowledge the, the trauma and emotion that is coming up on the table, and slow it down to titrate that to allow it to come to process it through then I am um, I am getting attached to an agenda I am taking this person too much into their head I'm moving away from the body and that's not the case because right. those two things are not separate the mind and the body are not separate right right so we really need a model like this that bridges the gap between the two worlds the mind and the body world the mental health and the physical rehab. Um, I feel that body workers and mental health professionals need to be learning this. Um, yeah. This modality, I think, will will help for mental health professionals. It will help take their clients in quicker, and for body workers, it will help to bring language to what's already coming up. Right. So that maybe clients will feel less afraid to go there, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, bridging the gap, I think, is where it's at, especially since 2020. We, we need more trauma-informed body workers, and we need more mental health professionals who are willing to go into the body. Um, and there are tools that exist right now. 
you know, um, somatic experiencing. Have yeah. you heard of? Oh us? yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Peter Levine. Um, he's amazing. He's an amazing pioneer in the work. Um, Pat Ogden is another one. It's, uh, sensory motor psychotherapy. Um, so we do have some of these tools already. But again, I find that they are lacking in the body first. It still uses the mind to scan what's happening in the body instead of allowing the space for the body and then um, bringing in some of the more top-down tools. Yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. And, And you also mentioned, you know, in regards to like safety with the body and, and how that's really important. Mm -hmm. I'm curious because obviously a lot of my work is, you know, um, working with people who have chronic illness. And so there is a innate lack of safety with the body there. So any thoughts on that or how to kind of support those people, um, in embodiment absolutely yeah low and slow is what is the phrase that's coming up here low and slow there is no need to rip the band-aid off and and again I think that that's really what some of the old school healing work was was rip the band-aid off and just you know see what happens deal with the fallout Mm -hmm. yeah Um, And so I think there's some residual fear around going there now because of that. Um, And this really is where Peter Levine's work has really laid such beautiful groundwork. Um, The the term titration, right? Titration, when you think about what it is, is it's starting with liquid that has a more wide opening and then it slowly starts to narrow until it just drips out the bottom. Um, so same is true for clients whose bodies kind of feel like a landmine a little bit, right? Like they don't want to go there because they do, I think they do have the mindset of if I, if I look what's at what's in there, I can't shut the lid again. I can't go back. Right. Right. And so what happens is they end up walking around like a, it feels like they're walking on a landmine. Like they really have to watch where they're stepping. And one wrong step, boom, you know. Um, So in those cases, I often use the body as its own anchor. Nothing in the body operates in isolation. Everything has a pair or a partner. Um, Where there's an agonist, there's an antagonist, right? Where there's a back, there's a front. So when we find kind of these important spots in the body or these hot spots in the body, we go into those areas, but I then have them feel into where does it connect. And it's when you can feel the connection, we disperse the awareness a little bit, then it feels less big. Okay. Right. Uh, that's the beauty of working in fascia is we're not working in one place ever. There's always a connection. And, and that's the second quadrant is connect. We're not just connecting to the body. We're feeling where the body connects to itself. And when we can find a pair or a partner, we can anchor it back into the body. And that creates a feeling of safety oftentimes. Yeah. Yeah. So the answers are not outside of you (laughs) ever, right? The body has the answers. The body is the anchor to safety. Um, I think when we start to think of this as like this big thing and, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? This is going to be so, so intense. 
once you experience it on a body level, you're kind of like, oh, that wasn't so bad. Yeah. <laughs> it's really, and then the integration piece is, is where the practitioners, it's in, that's where the onus is on us to make sure we're giving clients tools to keep it going so that we're not just like, you know, ripping the bandaid off and sending them out the door bleeding, you yeah. know? Yeah, I I agree. I feel like in general, our society has like very little space for integration. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I feel like that is definitely something that um, we need to remember as part of the process. The integration. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it comes from medicine, the way we've practiced medicine for a really, really long time. One of the reasons I'm so grateful for CIH and I'm actually a patient of CIH <laughs> is, is because it it doesn't have as much of that fix-it mentality, like here are your symptoms, do this thing, and then you'll feel better. Um, you know, I've been on a, a healing journey with SIBO for the past three years, and I feel how when I started to heal SIBO, my anxiety started to soften, right? There's that correlation. And I didn't go to the practitioner saying, I have anxiety, let me, I need to heal my SIBO. Right. (laughs) I went into the body and I healed the symptoms of the body. And then it began to manifest as an integration and a change of behavior. Um, so yeah, I think if we can start to move away from this fix it mentality and just listen and follow the integration will happen. And then once we feel the changes, that's your buy-in right there. Yeah. You know, um, it needs to feel applicable and attainable or people won't stick with it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, so I guess my next question for you would be, what is something that you wish that everybody knew about embodiment? Like if it was just one thing that you could kind of get out to the masses in regards to embodiment, what would that be? Mm. That the answers you're looking for are not outside of yourself. Yeah. yeah. Um, there are so many reasons why a person cannot go inward, right? Trauma is a real thing, and we're not bypassing that here. Um, In fact, the very first trauma that every one of us experienced was the trauma of being born. And that's disassociating. It's disassociating for the baby. It's disassociating for the mother. I don't care how, if you had a water birth and the cord stayed connected for a week and, you know, you stayed in your cocoon together. The trauma of being born is real. It's It's the first separation from the mother. Right. The trauma to the mother or to the the birthing person is real. Um, and so these little moments in time throughout your life create these um, these minor and major disassociations where pieces of your spirit start to leave your physical self and they're out there all around you. Um, and then you have the fascial restrictions in the body that kind of create blocks that now become a sponge for certain types of emotion and stress. So you're kind of walking around a, a, um, a version of yourself that is not the most authentic version because of disassociations, because the body needs to seek homeostasis. So it's going to find new coping mechanisms 
So you now have disassociation, you have coping mechanisms, defense mechanisms. Um, those start to shape and change your body over time. So here I sit saying, just get into the body, get into the body. And the person's like, I'm trying. Yeah. And there's no concept or baseline for what that means for that person. Um, so starting where you're at and clearing the blocks from the body first, yeah. instead of trying to change your environment or trying to change your patterns of behavior, there's a reason those things exist the way they do. There's a reason people are reacting or responding to you the way that they are. Yeah. People are a mirror for what's going on inside of us. So instead of trying to control or shift or change any of those things, start with the body and work with where you're at. Clear those blocks from the body. And then what remains over time is you, right? Um, at the end of the day, when we're doing the work, which is connecting back to the body and releasing the fascial restrictions from the body, doing that over time consistently, all that remains is all that you are, truly. Um, it doesn't make you a different version of yourself. It makes you the version of yourself that you truly are. And then you will do anything you can to ferociously protect that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Once you have access to that, I mean, the the joy and the happiness that's found there, the union, the inner union that's found there, that's felt there. Once you have that, it's yours, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, <laughs> that was so much good information. Um, last question for you would be, how can listeners learn more about you and the work that you do? And if people wanted to work with you, how do they do that? Thank you. Yeah. Um, well, I was thinking about that on the way over here. And one of the things that <clears throat> I think is super fun, um, if anyone's interested, is I do teach a retreat. So there is actually an opportunity to run away to the mountains mm -hmm. <laughs> and have this kind of immersive experience with the work, right? Which sometimes I think is exactly what we need. Um, sometimes it is nice to go into a container with other individuals who are doing this work also away from your natural environment and just have an immersive experience. Um, so I am leading an embodiment retreat on June 8th to the 12th, from June 8th to June 12th, um, and that's 2023, but I will be doing this every year. This is part of um, Pathways uh, Productions, so they have a retreat center in Charlottesville, Virginia. Wow. So there are some spaces open for that currently, and if this year doesn't work, there's always going to be another. I also teach the embodiment project twice a year, and that's every spring and every fall as of now. That is a six week program and it's all online. It's all virtual. Um, it is a group healing container where we meet every Saturday and every Sunday for two and a half hours on Saturday, two and a half hours on Sunday, um, every other weekend. And then on our off weekend, we meet for an integration circle on Sunday nights. And that starts April 29th for this spring semester. And then there is a fall version that starts right around Halloween weekend. Awesome. And it runs for six weeks. 
and that um, in that course we're doing uh, something it's it's a combination of um, body work and trauma-informed healing where we're healing seven embodiment codes is what they're called which are just seven fascial restrictions that live reside inside the body that hold specific karmas and traumas um, so we do that it's kind of an accelerant for healing so we do that together for six weeks and we learn a ton of self-treatment techniques um, you're releasing seven collective traumas that live in the body and we're all doing it together as a group so you kind of have that group support and accountability which is nice and then at the end you have access to um, a part of my website that is a, a membership page where you can continue to watch the replays and do the fascial release techniques on your own as those you know karmic patterns kind of come back up yeah. in the field again mm -hmm. you can go back in and do some tune-up work. Um, and then I teach a 12-month certification program. And this is for practitioners who wish to, to learn the four quadrants of embodiment. And registration for that is currently open and classes start on June 1st, um, which you can find all of this on my website. So if you go to bluenilletherapy.com, you can find the, the embodiment project and the practitioner program. Uh, and we're currently in the um, process of getting the practitioner program accredited with awesome. some, yeah, some local, uh, some national associations. Very cool. Yeah. That's awesome. So um, patients are feeling like they're ready to start doing the work with embodiment, then they can kind of connect with you in whatever capacity feels most comfortable um, to them and where they are in their process. Yeah. You know, I think... Um, the embodiment project is a good place to start, um, but sometimes people need one-on-one -on -one work and they're not ready for groups. So yeah. in that case, I do see clients still twice a week in person. I will never stop doing the hands-on work. Yeah, um, that is my my life's blood. I feel, um, and then I do see clients virtually as well once a week. So if you're not local to the DC area we can still do some of this embodiment work through telehealth. Yeah. So I do that as well. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for all of the information today. I feel like this is a missing piece in the health and wellness, you know, world. And I feel like this could really help a lot of people. So thanks for doing the work that you do and for having a conversation with me today. You're so welcome. As, as always, there's so much more. Yes. And I feel like I could talk about this all day, but thank you for your questions and thank you for bringing awareness to this topic. It really is important. I feel the same. So yeah. I appreciate you. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you so much for joining us today for this episode of the Capital Integrative Health Podcast. A quick reminder that the information we share on this podcast is meant for educational and informational purposes only. It's not a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. We highly recommend that you speak to a qualified healthcare provider before making any medical or healthcare decisions. If you enjoy this episode, please take a few moments to subscribe and leave us a review. Your reviews help us reach more people and continue to offer innovative insights and information to better optimize your health and wellness.